0: Welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope that this message from our senior leader, Brent Lieberzeit, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure that you subscribe or visit our website at ennisbrook.co.nz for a service near you. It's my privilege to speak to you today about tales of revival. We're going to be sharing some tales of revival over the next few weeks and It's interesting because when we talk about, and I've, as I've been studying and reading through some of the dynamics of revivals, that when you start to talk about revival, some things actually can start to happen. The way that they started revivals in days gone by was by actually talking about tales of revival, and, which is interesting, isn't it? This, literally, that's what they said. Was that if we went and started a camp meeting, for example, somewhere and, and somehow some way, we would always start by telling what was ha- what had been happening in the previous uh, camp meeting or pl- previous place that we had experienced a revival, and as they were talking, revival would start to happen so that 's kind of cool when you think about well let 's talk about this and see what God wants to do let 's talk about this and believe that not not that it just you know uh, what happened then is going to happen today. Not necessarily, but God wants to move today as much as he moved back then. Right. Yes. By the way, there are 187 accounts of revivals, different accounts of revivals right through history. And we would appreciate 188 Accounts of revival uh, through history. So we're believing for that. And, you know, I should have worn the T-shirt, and I apologise for that. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, You know, our revival T-shirts that we have, uh, our revival bling bling that we are wearing, because that is our theme for this year. And I was in Auckland uh, during the week, and in Life Church there with Pastor Paul de And they are running Sunday nights worship encounter and encounter nights, Wednesday nights worship and encounter nights, and they're packed, absolutely packed. And if you've been to their building, I think it seats around two thousand eight hundred people, eight hundred seats, which is a pretty phenomenal thing. And like you know, some really good things going on, not just there but around the country in regards to God moving. I, I always believe this that when there's a sense of oppression. For example, 2020, we will go there because it, it, it did happen. When there's a sense of oppression, when the enemy comes and brings fear, worry, and anxiety, it's because he knows what's next. And when he, when he hears, it's kind of like, I, I don't know how he gets a look in. I don't know how he kind of works that. But it seems like when the enemy wants to bring fear and anxiety, it's because God wants to bring faith, healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, which I think, you know, biblically I'm correct because that's what God wants to do, right? All right, faith, miracles. So when we come together like this, there's an expectation. There's a faith. Why? Why? Because we know that God is at work. We know God wants to work. We know God wants to move on our lives. So when there's a prayer time like we've just had, which I thought was pretty quiet to be honest, but uh, when there is a prayer moment, that there is faith and expectation that rises up within us to have an opportunity to see God uh, move and to see God at work. So God wants to move now. God is at work now. There are things that God wants to say to you. There are things that God wants to bring into your life. Uh, I I do believe that most of us are oppressed. Mm. Not depressed, but most of us are oppressed. We live in a fallen world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world and we're trying not to be of the world, but there are things that get on us and get around us, right? There are things that are around you right now that probably you would like to break free from and to break maybe things that you can see that God's wanting to do in your life that you'd like to break through in, right? We are formed by God, filled by God, fueled by God, right? Formed, filled, and fueled. I noticed that you like that. That's how I remembered it. So you just, you just say it and the three Fs, all right? Formed, filled, and fueled. We are fueled by God. So we are, filled by, we, we are formed by God, which means that we are made in his image. Therefore, there is perfection at some point in our life, right? right? We're not perfect, but we know, God is, we know God is perfect and we've been made in his image. Wow. So there is something about us that goes beyond the brokenness of our life. When we come to know Christ, He is perfect, He comes into us, and we are made perfect by His perfection. Doesn't mean that you do everything right, it's just that we have this ability to actually understand that there is something good about us. There's something good about us. And then we are filled by His Holy Spirit, be filled in Jesus' name, <laughs> be filled by the Holy Spirit, and now be fueled. So the fuel. So it's interesting, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes with fire and wind. And the, the illustration of that is that you actually need wind to have fire. You can't, you can't light a fire and then just, you know, that requires wind. It requires some kind of draft. It requires some updraft for it to continue to, continue to burn even brighter. And so that's what we need today. So, um, so let's be expectant. All right, expectant. What does God want to do today? What do you need God to do today? Well, Brenda, it's not about me. Well, we are looking forward to the fullness of life itself in us. Jesus said, I've come so that you might have life, life in all its fullness, right? Are you living a full life? Mm, Could be better. Okay, what is it then that, that you need right now to see the fullness of life? And believe for it. Come on, might not happen today. You know, I remember someone, we were praying for somebody who had cancer and, and uh, just praying and praying and praying and believing and believing and believing that person died. And then we got so much criticism as a church because we were believing for a person to be healed who didn't get healed. And, uh, and my take on it was, well, what else are we expected to do? God is in control. We ask and keep on asking. We seek, keep on seeking. We knock and keep on knocking At least we've got an environment for God to do miracles, if he so desires. But we will continue to believe, and we will continue to have faith, and we will, no matter what the outcome is, God has called us as Christians to believe. And uh, amen? Are we all in agreement there? No matter what the outcome is, we will be Christians who carry faith. 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 Okay, so let me tell you a tale. I'm going to talk about one of the 187 revivals because that, that have been recorded in history, and it's called the Cane Ridge Revival, which happened in 1801. Anybody heard of the Cane Ridge Revival, which took place in Cane Ridge in America? Uh, in con, uh, sorry, in Kentucky. Kentucky, where Kentucky Fried Chicken is from. That's why I love Kentucky Fried Chicken, because it's where Revival was. I'm sure that's the case. In fact, I think I'll have Kentucky Fried Chicken for tea tonight. Anyone with me on that? Yes. (laughs) Around the turn of the century, uh, of the 18th, well, it would be the 19th century, won't it? Because we're in the 21st century. The 1900s was the 20th century. 1800s is the 19th century. So around the turn of that century, a mass migration was taking place of uh, nearly one million people. Pioneers were heading to the western frontiers of Kentucky and Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, many of whom were illiterate, never read a Bible before, and or, or had even heard of, of a sermon. And so... Uh, there was a Presbyterian minister, his name was Barton Stone, who conducted a camp meeting uh, at Cane Ridge in Concord, Kentucky, in August of 1801. What happened there? Well, let me share some things with you. Communications were sent out concerning the planned camp meeting. That was to start on August 6, 1801. When the date arrived reports from various sources estimated the numbers assembled to have reached 30,000 people. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about, like, even the largest city at that time in that area was 1,800 people. The largest city, 1,800 people, which is quite amazing to think, isn't it? And here, uh, from all over, these pioneers coming in and starting this new, new, land, new work and uh, whole new lands uh, being opened up to them, they began these camp meetings. This particular camp meeting in Cane Ridge where thirty thousand people turned up. People arrived in wagons from Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. Lexington, and was uh, uh, amazing. Amazing to see the, the throngs of people at that time. Denominations having been arranged in different sections of the camp, <laughs> so uh, all it was all open here. In fact, I think I might have a picture there. Griffin, how's that picture look? There's a picture. That's how it happened. So you'd have the Presbyterians, you'd have the Methodists, you'd have the Baptists, you'd have all sorts of different denominations there uh, actually having their camp meeting and the preachers uh, and circuit riders would form preaching teams speaking simultaneously in different parts of the campgrounds, all aiming for the conversion of sinners, Unprecedented numbers came to came to the place, and uh, forming a, a, a incredible radius of um, you know the bringing their basically a hundred mile radius of people bringing their tents, and their first camp meeting was born. Holy Spirit fell powerfully on them, and Barton Stone recorded. There's a reason why I'm talking about the Cane Ridge revival, by the way, and I'll let you know that at the end of this story. The Barton Stone, who was, one of the, pres- was the Presbyterian minister uh, who was there, who basically set the whole thing up, he said, There on the edge of the prairie, multitudes came together. The scene was new and strange, and it baffled description. Many, very many fell down as men and women were slain in battle. And continued for hours together in an apparently breathless and motionless state, sometimes for a few moments reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or a piercing shriek or a prayer for mercy cried out for. The gloomy cloud that had covered their faces seemed gradually and visibly to disappear and hope and smiles brightened into joy. And they would rise shouting deliverance. And then they would address the surrounding multitude in language truly eloquent and impressive. With astonishment, I heard men, women, and children declaring the wonderful works of God and the glorious mysteries of the gospel. Their appeals were solemn, heart-penetrating, bold, and free. And under such circumstances, many would fall down into the same state from which the speakers had just been Delivered from. (laughs) Interesting, eh? A Methodist minister, John McGee, gave the closing call on the final day. His words were this, I exhorted them to let the Lord reign in their hearts and submit to him and their souls would live. I turned again and losing the fear of man, I went shouting and exhorting with all possible ecstasy and energy and the floor was soon covered by the slain. The word slain is a little bit of an old-fashioned word. Uh, we would probably say people fell under the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, as, as some of them say, well, it's being slain in the Spirit, which does sound quite quite defying doesn't it? Uh, and so uh, we would say fell under the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyone experienced that before in their life? Falling under the power of the Holy Spirit. Just kind of like you have no control. Suddenly the power of God comes on your life and you fall over. You still have all your... Five senses at work, right? Kind of like, you know, you're still there, uh, but but God is doing something in our, well, we believe God is doing something in our life at that time, or it is just that people fall over. Always something of a work of God. So he continues this particular Methodist ministry. He says, no person seemed to want to go home. Hunger and sleep seemed to affect nobody. This is about four days in on the revival, sober church members for many years now, in other words, you know, normal church members, normal, the normal ones, not the crazies, the normal ones, uh, the sober ones, uh, for many years now lay prostrate on the ground, crying out in such a language saying, oh, how I would have despised any person a few days ago who would have acted as I am now doing. <laughs> I like it, but I cannot help it. Persons of of every description were to be found in every part of the multitude, crying out for mercy in the most extreme distress. Military personnel counted as many as 30,000 people gathered at the Cane Ridge revival. Among many thousands converted there. And one of them was James Finley. And he writes this. He said, The noise was like a roar of Niagara. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. I counted seven ministers all preaching at one time, some on stumps, others in wagons, and one standing on a tree. People were singing, others were praying, some were crying for mercy in the most weirdest accents, while others were shouting loudly. Witnessing these scenes a peculiar, a peculiarly, strange sensation such as I had never felt before came over me. My heart beat tumultuously. My knees trembled, my lips quivered, and I felt as though I must fall to the ground. A strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mind. Are you getting excited? I'm getting excited reading this. I stepped up on a log where I could have a better view of the surging sea of humanity. The scene that then presented itself to my mind was indescribable. At one time, I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a 1,000 guns had been opened upon them and then immediately followed shrieks and shouts that rented the very heavens. Oh, good stuff. Colonel Robert Patterson of Lexington, Kentucky, in a letter to, uh, to the Reverend Dr. John King, um, on September the twenty fifth, eighteen o one, tried as well as I am able, he says, to describe the scene at Cain Ridge that August. Of all ages, he says, from eight years and upwards, male and female, rich and poor, and of every denomination, those in favour of it, of it in favour of it, as well as those in opposition to it. Why is there always opposition? What is up with the opposition? But he says this, he says those who were in favour and those who were in opposition, those who were rallying against it have instantaneously laid motionless on the ground. Some feel the approaching symptoms of being under deep convictions, their hearts swelling, their nerves relaxing and in an instant, they become motionless and speechless but generally retain their senses. He went on to describe other manifestations which continued from one hour to 24 hours. People were having man- these uh, manifestations up to 24 hours. It's a miracle, he says, that a wicked, unthoughtful sinner who never could or did address himself to an audience before should rise out of one of those fits. He calls them a fit. Uh, out one of those fits and continue for the space of two hours recommending religion and Jesus Christ to sinners as a lovely saviour, free-willing and all-sufficient and calling to sinners and inviting them to come to Christ and close in with the offer of salvation in the most pressing and engaging manner." Boys and girls as young as, as young as five offered public exhortation and were encouraged to do so and very effectively caused many to come to salvation. Oftentimes people would be slain in the spirit, there it is again, falling in the spirit as they listened to the children tell of the salvation that is to be found in Jesus. It's pretty cool, eh? Pretty cool. Hey mate, have a seat. Uh, so, uh, another testimony of Reverend Moses Hoge. Uh, he says this, The careless fall down, they cry out, they tremble. Not infrequently are, are they affected, that, well, and not infrequently are affected with convulsive twitchings. Nothing that imagination can paint can make a stronger impression upon the mind than one of those scenes. Sinners dropping down on every hand, shrieking, groaning, crying for mercy, convulsed, professors praying, agonising, fainting, falling down in distress for sinners or in raptures of joy. As to the work in general, there can be no question this is of God. The subject of it, for the most part, are deeply wounded for their sins and give a clear and rational account of their conversion. Interesting language, isn't it? Um, James Crawford shared a testimony. The number of persons who fell under the power of the Holy Spirit was was Computed was, <laughs> they didn't have computers in those days, but anyway, it was added up by the Reverend James Crawford, who endeavoured to keep an accurate account at the astounding number of about 3,000 within those just short, that short time. Testimony from Richard McNamara says this, the scene was awful beyond description. Now, when they used the word awful in those days, it was like, you know, the word awe. Um, the the falling, the crying out, the praying, the exhorting, the singing, the shouting, etc., etc., exhibited such new and striking evidences of a supernatural power that few, if any, could escape without being affected. Such as those who tried to run from it; these are the ones who were opposing it, who tried to run from the power and presence of God, were frequently struck on the way, or impelled by some uh, some alarming signal to return. And so powerful was the evidence on all sides that no place was found for the obstinate sinner to shelter himself or herself. These public testimonies against the work, particularly by ministers, were a means of stirring up and encouraging those who were openly wicked to come forth and mock, oppose, and persecute. Interesting, eh? Uh, the, the opposition was actually from ministers who came to stir up. And they they came to get others to mock and oppose and persecute. But even such were often unable to withstand the power. And sometimes in the very act of persecuting and afflicting were struck down like men in battle. And so alarming was the sight that others on foot or on horseback would try to make their escape and flee away like those who are closely pursued by an enemy in time of war. And be overtaken by the invisible power under which they would be struck down and constrained to cry out in anguish. And confess their wickedness in persecuting the work of God and warn others not to oppose it. <laughs> I kind of like that, you know, it's kind of grunty. You know, it's not, I mean, it's not a war, but it is a war. We've got a, we're in a spiritual war. There's a spiritual war that's going on. And by the way, there's a spiritual war going on right now like never before. I met with uh, the MP of Justice, Chris Farfoy, on Wednesday night to talk through this conversion therapy uh, legislation before the, the uh, legislation went out, which was interesting. It was a privilege to be invited to be a part of the initial, well, the conversation, I wouldn't say initial conversation because the draft had already been written. So, uh, but he was wanting to uh, fill us in on um, wh- what that was all about, but really we didn't get the full story. And some of you will know that the legislation has now been, is now out as a draft. It was released on Friday, and uh, literally, this is what it is. It's, uh, Chris uh, Farfoy was telling us that it was about vi- um, coercion and violence against LGBTQI community, uh, but it actually isn't. It's not about coercion and violence. It's about, it's about yeah I know, it's about, it's about conversation, which means this that if you have a child who's 10, 11 or 12 years of age and they say, hey mummy, I want to start puberty blockers and you as mum say, no, you're not doing that, you will get a jail sentence of up to five years. So I say government has got to stop trying to impose themselves on the bringing up of, you know, of our children they're trying to be the parent. That's what they're trying to be. And uh, we need to say enough is enough. Uh, so, so the, yeah, so there's opposition right now. And I kind of feel like, again, you know, we don't cower in fear. Yeah. But we carry faith. Yeah. And, 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 you know, my role, I guess, is not just as senior leader of Annarsbrook, but as, uh, particularly as chair of the National Church Leaders in New Zealand, my role is to create a unity with our church leaders, <laughs> like you know that picture we saw, you know, Methodists, Presbyterians and all, you know all there in one place, but actually creating a vo- and, and creating a voice. Yeah. see because we represent 34 percent of this country. The last census said that 34 percent of New Zealanders called themselves Christian. So this, this, this team of national church leaders represent that 34 percent. And so it's the largest group of any group in New Zealand. And and we just need to be doing something about it. So opposition, opposition. I think revival and opposition go together. I think that revival and persecution go together. I think that there are things that God is wanting to do. And I, I think that the enemy is definitely at work as well, wanting to hinder and stop the work of God as much as... He's stopping the work of God in your own life, right? We all want to have revival in our own life, but the enemy wants to come and attack. You know, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood we fight against, but against principalities and powers of darkness. That's right. True? Okay. And so we've always got to be on guard. Be on guard. To stand. Stand firm. And uh, and so there is this kind of dichotomy of the release of God's power on our life and the... Uh, the battle that we have in regards to uh, the enemy who wants to take that power from us. Okay, recognizing the two. Yes, we want God your power on our life, but also we stand in opposition to the work of the enemy. So we're believing for miracles, but we're also in a we're also in a spiritual battle. We're fighting against the enemy. Right? That's how it works. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> I love this. I'll just read this because I kind of love this part about, the, um, about this particular revival, Cambridge revival. Uh, this is from a Baptist writer. And these were all in, back in those days, in the 1800s, that these things were written. Historians have said, that, have said several things. God is so infinite, so powerful, so large, that when the divine uh, falls on man or woman, they cannot contain him. And as they break out with God all over the place, Doing things that he wouldn't have done otherwise, such as jerks. (laughs) <laughs> and falling to the ground. But this, um, this, uh, I just think it's hilarious. I just laughed when I read this about the jerks. Uh, another writer talks about the jerks. He says, "'I've always looked upon the jerks "'as a judgment sent from God, first to bring sinners to repentance, "'and secondly to show profe- professionals "'that God could work with or without means, "'and that he could work over and above means "'and do whatsoever seemeth good to him.'" To the glory of His grace and the salvation of the of 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 the world, Um, I I just love that because I kind of think that too often we look at the manifestation and go, "Whoa, what's that?" You know, uh, sometimes you see some strange things happening. Um, Obviously, at that point in time, a lot of people had the jerks, which is you know, people' bodies work as looked like they were convulsing, or you know, uh, or whatever. Anyone seen that? I have. I've experienced it myself, actually. and it was really prolific back then. Okay, so the results of the Cane Ridge revival. It impacted the American frontier, which was Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, which is a massive area, by the way. And major towns and colleges spreading revival fires everywhere. Testimonies, testimonies of this revival when told in North Carolina caused revival fires to fall there and in surrounding states. So it began to create this incredible sense of a move of God. The Methodists set up camp meetings in Mecklenburg, North Carolina in March 1802, which is a year later, and 5,000 people were in attendance there. These camp meetings were held in South Carolina as well, and by January 1803, the Methodists had added 3,371 to their membership rolls. Ridge Revival was not an isolated incident, however, and um, Richard McNamara, who was present at the event, quoted from a letter dated January 30, 1801, the work is still in Increasing, he says. So increasing in Cumberland, it is overspread, the whole country, it is in Nashville, in Barron, and Muddy and Gaspar, Red Banks, Knoxville, etc., etc., etc. Pretty cool way. Eh? Out of the 187 recorded revivals throughout history, the reason why I tell you this of uh, tell you of this particular revival story is because this is where our movement started. Plot twist. <laughs> this is where our movement started. We were formerly known as the uh, Associated Churches of Christ. Barton Stone, who was a Presbyterian minister, hated the idea of the hierarchy, hated the idea of the stained glass windows uh, and, and wanted to set something up. He hated the idea that only the priests could partake or give communion. Uh, and, and so he started uh, with another guy, Alexander Campbell who they began a new movement called the Associated Churches of Christ that movement spread like wildfire as part of this revival church planting became rampant within the movement and the churches of Christ quickly spread throughout the world into 286 now they are in two we are in 286 nations and by the way there's only 289 nations in the world and we are in 286 of those nations with currently 25 million members. So that's the product of the results of a particular revival that took place in 1801. What's that? 220, exactly 220 years ago. How's that? Pretty amazing. And uh, and so so thankful for our predecessors who allowed themselves to be open to a work of God in their lives and to see that work of God carried out um, uh, right through, you know, I mean, it's a little bit like Acts chapter two, isn't it really? Holy Spirit falls on a few people and those few go out and change the world, right? And I think the world needs changing today. So who's God going to use? I got one hand. Right? Come on, who's God going to use? Because too often, remember, these were, these were pioneers. They were unschooled. They, hadn't read any, they didn't know how to read. They'd never read the Bible. So we think, we think it's got to be the professionals, but you'll hear read time and time again, the professors. In other words, those who were qualified. They, 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 they became like everyone else under the power of God. And I, I don't think you should limit yourself to just the limitations that you put yourself under. But actually understand that, okay, we have limitations. Even Paul said that. I've got a big weakness. I've got a thorn in the flesh. I've got something that's hounding me constantly. And, God's, and, and yeah, look what God did with Paul. So what could God do with you? What could God do with you? Where is this going? Where is this heading? Why are we talking about revival 2021? I think because God wants to do something. And God wants to move powerfully on your life. But I've got to, you know, it's, when you read about the tales of revival and you'll hear more tales yet to come, there are certain signs that we need to be aware of. How do you know there's a revival happening in your life? Number one, a place it's a place of repentance. A sign of revival is a place of repentance, which we need. Um, God takes his people to a place, in a place of repentance. There'll be no revival where there is no repentance. Scripturally, scripture clearly tells us and teaches us that sin brings spiritual death, right? All of sin, fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 6, 23. And the only remedy of sin is what? It's repentance. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You want a revival in your life? I think that's where it starts. Even John the Baptist, before Jesus turned up on the scene, what was John the Baptist preaching? He was preaching repentance, right? Preaching repentance, and often the first place the Holy Spirit will always take people experiencing the, 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 the spiritual awakening will always first take them to that place of repentance. So you think about it for yourself then. Okay, what do I need to repent of? What is God wanting to do in my life? All right. Uh, secondly, and I'll just rattle through these because time is going on. Secondly, uh, returning to God. A spiritual awakening involves returning to God. Sign of revival, returning to God. God urged his people through the prophet Malachi, "Return to me and I will return to you." All right? There's a whole lot about in regard to that. A massive conversation that took place in regards to that. People asked, "Well, how are we to return to you?" And God said, "Well, one, your money. And secondly, your serving. Money and serving. You, look at, you read Malachi chapter three, we haven't got time to read it now, but you'll see that first up, you're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. And secondly, you're telling me that serving me is futile. It's futility. Interesting, eh? Number three, holiness. Another sign of revival is holiness. True, true revival always leads to holiness. Number four, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a no brainer. Number five, there is another sign of revival is a willing obedience. Basically doing what God said, doing what God's asked of me. And then thirdly is this incredible love relationship. A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. A new love for God, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and a new love for one another. Those are the signs of revival. And, uh, and so as we go through this series, as we be, as we look at this Tales of Revival, we're going to be challenged and excited about what God can do and what God wants to do. Amen. It's good. is not it good that I'm up this high because it's kind of like you all look, are looking up, you know, you're looking up. It's, it's, it's good, but it does feel very high, especially as I get closer to here. It's really high. I'm afraid of heights. No, I'm not. I'm not a slave to fear. Okay. Well, God wants to speak, right? So we've got a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes just to let God speak. So let's just, every eye closed, every head bowed. What does this mean for us this morning? What does it look like for you today? God wants to bring a revival into your heart and a revival into your life. Yep, he wants to do it corporately, but ultimately the corporate thing is always about the individual. It's always about your relationship with God. If you're not in relationship with Him, if you are disconnected from Him, if you feel so far from Him, there's an opportunity right now just to get back in connection, in relationship. An opportunity, just in a a moment, just like that, suddenly, where your heart begins to melt again, where that pride and that arrogance that holds us back from our relationship with God just our heart just begins to melt and we just recognize and realize that we need him. You need him. You actually need him. There is a way that seems right to us, but that way leads to death, the Bible tells us. But there is a way that is right and that's back to the father. It's like the prodigal son or prodigal daughter coming back home. God wants you back home. He wants you with him. He's running towards you as you're walking towards him. He says, you draw near to me. That's the walking. You know, you take the step forward. He says, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That's his desire. So, Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody here, who's desiring to draw themselves back to you, God. I pray you'd be running now in Jesus' name. Be running, Lord, to them. That they'd know you as their heavenly Father. That they'd know you as their Saviour that they'd know you as the one, yep, who can do miracles and all of that. But right now, who can take out of us our heart of stone and give us a, a heart of flesh, who can put a new spirit in us. And I pray for anybody praying that prayer right now, anyone desiring that re- to reconnect right now, I pray for a new spirit to be upon them in Jesus' name. The anointing of God on your life in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, to every single one of us, what is it? What is it that needs to change? What is it that that you need to be looking at inside of yourself that embraces a new work of God? Because we need a new work of God. You need a new thing. God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you sense it? Do you feel it? You may not understand it, but you're perceiving something of a work of God like never before. I'm believing for that for you. In the name of Jesus, you are not a slave to fear. You are not a slave to fear. Where you have been fearful, where you've been afraid, I'm talking to somebody here this morning, where you have been afraid, where you have felt like the, 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 the enemy is more powerful than God is. You've got to begin to bring declaration to that and take a stand and begin to fight against the enemy Because with all the power of God, the authority that God has given you. I've given you authority over all the enemy's power. You can walk on snakes and scorpions, you can crush them under your feet, but nothing will in any way do you harm. Come on, the authority of God is on your life. Yes, the authority to heal. Yes, the authority to bring miracles, but also the authority to stand and not succumb to the enemy's power. The authority is far greater. The authority of God is far greater than any power. When we stand, we can stand together, absolutely. But God wants you to stand as an individual as well and re- recognise the power of God even in your own life. Too often we we, we have uh, people who we lean against for our own faith and for our own Christianity, but God wants you to stand. He wants to give you a, in fact, I feel like God's doing that right now. I really sense God is singling you out and saying, there's a new way to stand. There's a new place to walk in. There's a new place. There's a new place. There's a new place for you. A place that represents fully the kingdom of God. Even when you go home today, There's something will have shifted even in your home because you're carrying something different. There's something that will have shifted in your family because there is something that God is doing on your life right now. Even while you're sitting here, God is at work. Even while you're sitting there, there is something of your own heart that's melting away. And the power of God, the anointing of God coming in like a flood on your life. In Jesus' name, the Bible says the river that flows from the throne of God, bringing hope and healing, hope and healing for your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, this morning, that we would not succumb. This week, we would sense the power and the presence of God, not the fear and the worry and the anxiety that the enemy wants to bring, not the oppression or the depression, but the life and the hope and the fulfilment and the purpose. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We believe for that this morning in Jesus' Name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us email us at info at or visit our website.